0: a blessing to be here, and I hope it's a blessing to you. I'd like to invite you to turn with me to Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6. And there are some folks who need chairs. There's plenty of chairs up front, unless you're afraid the preacher is going to spit on you. Um, there's room. Welcome. As you know, we're studying the parable of the prodigal son, And we saw yesterday that a certain man representing God had two sons, and the two sons were sinners. That's what we saw. One of the sons was lost in the world, and I suppose we can understand what it means to be lost in the world. There are probably many of you who've had that experience. But the other son was in the church, and he was lost in the church, and that's a little trickier, you understand, uh, because... He didn't realize that it's not enough to be religious. It's not enough to be a member of the church. He had deceived himself by judging himself by his own behavior. You understand? I had you turn with me to Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6, we're looking at verse 3. A very interesting verse. Actually, it's a foundational verse. We're going to see in just a minute. This is Galatians chapter 6. We're looking at verse 3. For if a man think himself to be something, when he is what nothing, he deceives himself. Do you know that this verse here is the very foundation of all deception? If you and I did not think so highly of ourselves, we could not be deceived because we would put our faith in something outside of ourselves. But because we think of ourselves, as intelligent or educated or whatever it might be that we are, whatever it might be that God has given to us, and we tend to want to put our trust in the gifts that God has given, and it tends towards self-deception. This is what we see in the parable of the prodigal son. Now, I have a question for you. How much confidence should we place in nothing? (laughs) Not much, right? But that's exactly what we do. This is the basis for all deception. And this is what the sin problem is. The sin problem is a problem of self-righteousness, self-confidence, self-sufficiency. We think too highly of ourselves and we ought not. By the way, friends, I just have three, four verses that I can share with you. And I've just shared the first one. If a man thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. He is nothing. Jesus said in John chapter 15, verse 5, without me you can do what? Nothing. Nothing. John the Baptist said in John chapter 3, verse 27, you, a man, will have nothing except it's given him from heaven. So we are nothing, we can do nothing, we have nothing except God gives it to us. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 2, it says that we know nothing as we ought to know it. Now, friends, is that enough nothing for you? I mean, what, what basis, upon which basis can we put any confidence in ourselves? Upon which basis can we boast? What is it that we have that is not covered by those four nothings? Yes. So we ought to put our faith somewhere else than in ourselves. Now, the central theme of the Bible, as far as I'm concerned now, is found in Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 5 and 7. You don't have to turn there. I am going to try to save a little bit of time by reciting some of these verses that I know. It says there, Cursed is the man that trusts in what? In man. Why? Because man is nothing in the sight of God, because we are damaged goods, because we are sinful, and because sin of what sin has done to us. Cursed is the man that puts his trust there. But verse 7 says, Blessed is the man that puts his trust in God. And friends, you will be blessed, I will be blessed if we can put all of our trust in God. If we can acknowledge Him in all of our ways, what will He do? Well, He will direct our path in all of our ways. Isn't that what it, the intimation is here? Well, that's what it is, and it's true. What would it be like if we acknowledged Him in everything, every decisions we have to make, and He would respond by guiding us in every decision we have to make. How many mistakes do you think we would make? Well, we would make far fewer than we make now. And th- this is just the simplicity of the gospel as far as I'm concerned. It makes perfect sense if we only believed what God says, if we only believed God's Word. In 1987, my wife and I ended up in Africa. Well, we, we were given a call. We went to Africa. We were in Zambia for a year And then we were given a call to Lesotho, Dr. Lukens, Rick and Lorna, both doctors, gave us a call to take their place in a little mission project that they had started sometime before. They had been in Africa 14 years, they had this mission project, and they gave us a call to to go there. We went there, when the chiefs saw us, the chiefs in the valley called a big meeting together, and they said to all the people, listen, the only reason Richard Lukens and his wife were here in this valley is because they opened a clinic and they kept a clinic going. There's no point in bringing in anyone else if they're not going to keep a clinic going. And we says, no problem, we will keep the clinic going. After all, my wife has a grade 10 education, and I have a grade 10 education, and between the two of us, that's 20 years, why can't we keep a clinic going? Now, of course, it doesn't make any sense, it doesn't work quite that way, but we did keep the clinic going, and one of the main reasons, as far as I'm concerned, is the Lord wanted us there, and my wife has a huge aptitude for medicine, in spite of the fact that she's had no training except on the farm, you understand, and so we kept the clinic going, it's amazing. Dr. Lukens stayed back for four months and he taught my wife how to pull teeth and how to suture wounds and how to dispense medicine and how to do all kinds of stuff. Well, now this is all the background. One night, it's midnight, my wife and I are sleeping in bed and all of a sudden there's a whole pile of noise outside. I mean, a lot of noise and we're wondering what in the world is going on. Now, you have to understand, Lesotho is called the kingdom in the sky It's built on the Drakenberg Mountains or the Maluti Mountains, depending on which side you are. And we were at 6,500 feet and the mountains towered above us. And so our driveway was up and down. By the way, we had the only vehicle in the valley. And so I had to cement a couple of tracks up the, the driveway so we could get out when it was raining. Well, anyway, there was an ox cart coming down the driveway... And in the ox cart was a lady ready to be delivered. We went outside to meet them and they said, she said to my wife, you must deliver my baby. And my wife was like, "Um, I have never delivered a baby before. I don't know how to deliver babies. There's a hospital 12 kilometers from here. If you hurry (coughs) in an ox cart, you know, how do you hurry? Well, anyway, you can go to the hospital. And the lady said, no, I am here. I am ready and you must deliver my baby. Well, I, you know, Richard had left a little uh, library in the office there. I went down there and I found a book, and I found a chapter in the book on how to deliver babies. (laughs) I gave the book to my wife, I lit all the lanterns, I boiled water, not knowing that you don't need to boil water, because they do in the movies, I boiled water. (laughs) You see? (laughs) And my wife, with a book in one hand, delivered her very first baby with the other hand. Well, friends, listen, we were in Africa for 10 years and my wife delivered one, two, three, four, I don't know how many babies every week for the time we were in Africa for 10 years. I cannot tell you how many babies my wife delivered, but I can tell you this, she never lost one never lost one now how in the world does that happen why is it that she didn't know anything about delivering babies but never lost one baby in delivery she delivered babies in the back of pickups on the ground in smoky huts in every situation you can think of she delivered breech babies she delivered babies with the cords wrapped around their necks she delivered babies that had teeth she delivered twins there's not a situation you can think of that she did not have to face She never lost one. And do you know that this is an illustration of the plan of salvation? It really is. She didn't know how. She did not lose one. We can't save ourselves. We can't heal ourselves. But we need not be lost. There is a God in heaven. Yeah, he hears our prayers. He'll work with us. Oh, I hope you can hear that. And you ought all to be working for the Lord, don't you think? Yeah. Well, the problem is many people will not put themselves in a position where they might make a mistake or it might be dangerous or whatever, whatever. You think God doesn't live through those circumstances also? Oh, yes. Turn with me to Luke chapter 15. We're studying the parable of the prodigal son together in Luke chapter 15. We're going to verse 12. We did verse 11 last night. And we saw that a certain man had two sons. Well, the younger of them, according to verse 12, said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that fall to me. You know what that means. The young man comes to his father. He comes with a request for his inheritance. That's a huge insult in that, in that culture. Uh, And I suppose it's quite of an insult here too, I suppose, if a young man should come to you and say, Dad, I want my inheritance and I want it now, what would you say to the young fellow? I mean, what would common sense say? Well, that's right. You're not getting it. As a matter of fact, you put your arm around the young man and you say, listen, kid, you're too young. You're not ready, you're not mature enough. Besides that, I have worked, I've sacrificed, I've deprived myself to build this empire. How can I put it in the hands of someone who has invested no sweat, no blood, no tears into this thing at all? I mean, I can't take the chance of putting it into the hands of young people who are not ready. Would that have been the right thing to say? Would that have been common sense? Well, sure, that's what it would have been. But you know, God's sense is anything but common And in the parable, he does something different here. You can see that in verse 12, still, at the end of the verse. It says, he, that is the Father, divided unto them his living. Now, don't miss what's happening here. We're talking about the gospel. We're talking about the plan of salvation. And we find that the Father who loves these boys, whose love is unconditional, um, gives where we would withhold. Now, the reason he gives where we would withhold, well, first of all, it's not to get you to put away your common sense. The parable is not written with the intention of having us turn away from common sense. This is just a parable, by the way. But it was written in such a way as to help us to see that God has to give so that we do not perish. Did you know that? Do you know that God takes the initiative? Do you know that God went to the cross before you were born, before you were born again? Do you know that God paid the full penalty for your sin and we could go on and on and on all <clears throat> apart from you, what you have done and what I have done. He did it on, in an objective way for us and He had to do that if we were ever to, going to be saved because with the sin in our hearts we would have no desire for God. We would have no desire for salvation unless God... As a matter of fact, it says in John chapter 12, I think it's verse 32, I, if I be lifted up, what? I'll draw all men unto me. And the only reason all men are being drawn, by the way, all men and women are being drawn to Jesus. And it's because God has already done something that is very attractive to us. Okay. The question now is, what did God give when he gave his living? Yeah. The widow with her two might, when Jesus was there and he he was in the temple watching as she gave her two might, said afterward to the disciples, she gave all that she had. She gave her living. And this is what it says of the Father in the parable. He gave his living. In other words, he gave everything. But we have to go to the spiritual side of this thing. God so loved the world, he gave what? Now, with his son, what did he give? I want you to turn with me to uh, Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. Now, I'm, I'm, I could recite this verse, but I want you to cast your eye on it if you have a Bible with you, because it's probably the most important verse we're going to read today. And if you can get your faith to lay hold on this, on this verse, you will have everything. Nothing lacking. That's what it says right here, Romans chapter 8. We're looking at verse 32. He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. But notice here, for whom the son was delivered, it's for us all. And don't think it was for Christians, because if he had not been delivered, there would have been no Christians. It's his deliverance that made Christians. By the way, I mean, it's the deliverance of God of his son to to die for us on the cross. Okay, so this is for the whole human race here. I want you to catch that. He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us what? All things. Do you know that you have all things this morning, this evening? Do you know? It's true. And if your faith would lay hold on this promise, you would have all things because that's what it says. Jesus went to the cross, paid the penalty, turns around, gives us His righteousness, and in His righteousness is all things. It's amazing, but it's true. And I think it's faith in works 27 and it's just coming to my head. It says there that His righteousness will accomplish everything. Nothing lacking. It's all the whole gift is in His righteousness. It's amazing. Now, do you believe that you have all things? Does it feel like you have all things? <laughs> you know, I've often wondered, and sometimes I've pined at the idea, that there are some people who are millionaires in this world, and I obviously am not a millionaire in this world. And, and so in my mind it goes like this. Now, why would it be that he's a millionaire and I'm not? What's fair about this? But friends, it isn't true. It isn't true. Just because God has taken money and entrusted, in, entrusted it to that individual doesn't mean that I don't have it. Because my Bible says that I do. I have all things. Is it true? Yes. You just take the promise in Philippians chapter 4, verse 19. My God shall supply what? All, all your needs. Is it true? Have you ever lacked anything? No, friends, listen, I've never lacked anything. I used to work in the mines. For I I told you that already, nine and a half years. And when I left the mines, I was making $100 a day. That was 40 years ago. And actually, that wasn't so bad. I built a house when I was 20 years old, my wife and I. We had a new car in the driveway. We had all these toys of the day, in any case, which meant hunting and fishing equipment. Uh, But I had them, and I used them. In any case, I was making $100 a day, and I thought that was pretty good. I still think it was pretty good back then. Today, I'm not sure, but whatever, you know. When we gave our hearts to the Lord, the Lord put his hand on our shoulder, and he said, I want you to sell everything and follow me. Sold the house, sold the toys, kept the car. You need a car anyway, right? And we moved into supporting ministries. Two years as students, one year as staff, And then after that, of course, I told you yesterday that I was made president. Do you know how much I was receiving as the president of Woodland Park Foundation in South River, Ontario? $20 a month for six years. Is there a difference between $100 a day and $20 a month? Yeah. When I went to Africa, I was given a local wage, $50 a month. It was costing us more than that to live in Africa. We married two daughters on this side of the ocean during that time. And at the end of 10 years, I had as much in the bank as I had when I had first gone to Africa. Not knowing, I can't tell you to this day how it happened. It just happened to be that way. My God shall supply all your needs and mine too. He does. Anyway, that could be a whole other sermon Turn with me to 1 John chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5. Beautiful verse. The evangelicals make hay with these verses, and rightly so. We're in 1 John chapter 5. We're looking at verse 11. This is the record that God has given to us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. God does not separate the gifts he gives us from his Son. All the gifts that come from God come to us, in Christ. That's why it says in the very next verse, He that hath the Son hath life. He that has the Son has everything. Because with His Son, He has freely given us all things, including eternal life. It's, whole, it's the whole package. It's amazing to me. Okay, so what has, given the, what has God given the whole world? All things. Including salvation. Including eternal life. Now, Last night we read, I don't know, seems like I missed something here, maybe I didn't, yes. I was reading this week a value Genesis survey which was conducted among Seventh-day Adventist youth in the late 80s and early 90s. Now, the survey found that the vast majority of these Seventh-day Adventist young people had no assurance of salvation. And so the question was asked why. As a matter of fact, the young people were polled to find out what it is, uh, what was the reason that they felt like they had no assurance of salvation. And the main reason was this. I mean, just almost across the board, the typical answer was this. Our behavior does not measure up to God's requirements. That that was the answer. Now, where in the world did they get the idea that their salvation was based on their behavior anyway? Well, you have to know, of course, that they grew up in Seventh-day Adventist homes, they went to Seventh-day Adventist schools, and they also went to Seventh-day Adventist churches, and somehow we are able, we have produced the idea that our salvation and our assurance is based on our performance. But do you know that isn't true? As a matter of fact, if you were here last night, you heard it in uh, Isaiah 64, verse 6. What does it say? All our righteousnesses are what? Filthy rags. Well, friends, if all our righteousnesses, if all our good deeds, if everything that we do, our prayers, our penitent confessions, and our religious services are filthy rags, if because they go through a corrupt channel they come out defiled then why and how in the world can we look at the things that we do and think that we can find assurance there it doesn't make any sense it's all defiled this is who we are we are damaged sinners well why is it then that we ever look there to try to find salvation it doesn't work because it isn't true there's nothing to look to if you look to yourself and to try and find salvation or assurance of salvation you are not going to find it. And then you will be discouraged. And that's what happens to young people. Where did they get the idea if we haven't implanted it in their heads? Because we have that idea. Isn't that amazing? First Corinthians chapter 3, verse 11. First Corinthians chapter 3, verse 11. You might know this verse by heart. For other foundation can no man lay, then that is laid. This is the foundation of salvation here. For other foundation can no man lay, then that is laid, which is Christ Jesus. What is salvation based on? Where can we look for any kind of assurance? Friends, only in the birth and the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Turn with me to Romans chapter 5. I sure hope you don't mind using your Bibles because I don't know how to preach otherwise. This is Revelation, uh, Romans chapter 5. We're going to go to verse 18. There's some theologians that feel that Romans chapter 5 is the clearest exposition of the plan of salvation in the whole Bible. Look at verse 18 if you don't mind. Romans chapter 5. Therefore, as by the offense of one... Who is this talking about? Adam. Adam. Okay, therefore, by the offense of Adam, judgment came upon all men to condemnation. So in Adam, all men are made sinners. In Adam, all men are condemned. In Adam, all men must die. If you want to look at verse 12, it'll tell you that there. Wherefore, as by one man, Adam, sin entered into the world, and death by sin, so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. You go back to verse 18, and in the middle of the verse it says, even so, and that means by the same measure. So, as Adam has implicated the whole human race in sin, condemnation, and death, even so, by the same measure, watch the rest of the verse here, even so, by the righteousness of one. Who's that? Jesus Christ. The free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. So, in Christ, By the one righteous act that is on the cross of Calvary, a free gift came. What is the free gift? Uh The wages of sin is death, and the gift of God is what? Eternal life. Sure. And let me see, another verse, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. For by grace are you saved through faith. It is not of yourself, it is a gift from God. Is it a gift? Why, sure, it's a gift. And to whom? What does it say in Romans chapter, eight, uh, chapter 5, verse 18? Even so, by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon, who? All men to justification of life. Is it true? Can you base any assurance there? Yeah. In First Selected Messages 343, paragraph 1, he took in his grasp, talking about Jesus. The world over which Satan claimed to preside as his lawful territory and by his wonderful work and given his life he restored the whole race of men to favor with God. Who did he restore to favor with God? The whole race of men. And how did he do it? by taking all of their sins and going to the cross of Calvary, by living a perfect life from the day he was born till the day he died, by dying an an, an, an atoning death for all of their sins, the whole human race. And so it says in Desire of Ages one thirteen. I don't have it written here, but it says that when Jesus came up from his baptism, that the Father pronounced over him, this is my beloved Son in whom in the... I am well pleased. And then, of Ages says, in this statement, God embraced all of humanity. All of humanity is embraced. So what does all of humanity have? It has what God has produced for all of humanity. Salvation. Yeah. Now, what do you have to do? It's already given to us. Do you know that a gift that can be Received can also be refused. Is it true? Yeah. This is the whole crux of the matter. Why then do we look at our works? Now listen, I'm not done with works here. and Don't start thinking that I'm going to go off in some strange place where we don't have to do works. Friends, we will work. As a matter of fact, we're going to work more than anyone else in the whole world. If we could ever get a picture of what God has done for us, if we could ever come to the place where we see how good He is, how loving He is, What does it say in Romans chapter 2 verse 4? It is the goodness of God that what? Leads us to repentance. Is it or isn't it? Yes, yes. And friends, it isn't anything we do. We can't repent of ourselves. But when we see what he has done, there will well up into our hearts such a gratitude. Now, if somebody does something for you to which you are extremely grateful, what are you going to do against that person? It doesn't make any sense. When someone does something for you and you're extremely grateful to that individual, you don't go out of your way to try to do something bad to them. It doesn't work because your heart is filled with gratitude. And isn't that what we ought to feel this evening as we watch the plan of salvation unfolding before us? You know, filled with gratitude and filled with assurance because he's already in his birth and in his life and in His death, and in His resurrection, objective of us, before we were born, before we were born again, while we were yet sinners, while we were undone, while we were ungodly, while we were yet His enemies, Christ died for us, and paid the full penalty, and offers it to us as a gift. What do we have to do? What does He have to do to convince us that He's already done this? It's written in the Word of God. Can you see it? With His Son, He has freely given us all things. <clears throat> turn with me, and we'll keep trying to emphasize that, with, uh, turn with me to Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2. I, you know, I pray all the time for somehow the Holy Spirit and the ability to be able to proclaim this. I have a, a, I have a prayer list. I suppose many of you have a prayer list. And the second thing on my prayer list the first thing is, I pray for the Holy Spirit and all the wonderful qualities that would come with the Holy Spirit. The second thing is, I pray to understand righteousness by faith. I pray to experience Christ as my righteousness and I pray for the power to be able to explain what it is that the Lord reveals to me. Now, not that I know any more than anyone else, but I'm praying for it. It's Not because I want to know more than you, <laughs> but it's, if I could just have the power To share what God shares with me. That would be enough for me. We're in Genesis chapter 2. This is where God created Adam and Eve. They're in a garden. And God begins to think they must be able to show how they love him. They have no way of showing it. And so he creates for them the the slightest, the lightest test that he can possibly create. He chooses one tree out of many and says don't eat from that tree. And that will show that you love me. Verse 17. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it for in the day that you eat thereof thou shalt surely die. Now did Adam and Eve ever eat of that tree? Yes, they did. And when they ate from that tree in that day, did they die? Well, there are three answers to that and if we had time and if we were sitting in a circle and we were relaxed uh, I would listen to you. But I'll tell you what the three answers are. Okay? A lot of people would like to say they began... Well, I think it says in dying thou shalt die. In other words, you're going to begin to die in that day. And that's true. They began to die that day. I believe that mm, uh, Adam lived to be 930 years old, so he didn't die the day that he ate thereof. The second thing is that they died spiritually. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 2, dead in sin and trespasses were born that way, were conceived in sin and, you know, how the Bible says. And so began to die died spiritually, and the third one, they did not die that day. Now, did God lie? Didn't He say that in the day that you eat thereof, thou shalt surely die? Did He mean it? And what did He mean when He said that? Well, He meant that He was going to send them back where He got them in the first place. And that was nowhere. That's exactly what He meant. But why is it that God said they would die that day and they didn't die that day? Do you know why? Do you know where the answer is? If you'll turn with me to Revelation chapter 13, we're looking at verse 8. Now, it seems like a strange place to find the answer. The question is asked in Genesis. The answer is in Revelation chapter 13, a strange chapter full of beasts and all kinds of symbolism and the mark of the beast and the number of his name and 666 and all of that is found in this chapter. Now, look at verse, verse 8. We're in Revelation chapter 13. And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him, the beast, whose names are not written in the book of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. When was Jesus slain? From the foundation of the world. What in the world? I thought he was crucified just 2,000 years ago. Well, friends, the pain that Jesus suffered at the cross of Calvary didn't begin 2,000 years ago at the cross of Calvary. It came with the very inception of sin. As soon as there was sin, there was a Savior. As soon as Adam took a bite from that fruit, the blow was coming from God because God is not a liar. And Jesus stepped between Adam and the blow that came, took the blow upon himself, and became the Lamb slain From the foundation of the world. Now, here's one of the most important questions I'm going to ask tonight. What where would you be today had Adam been killed that day? You wouldn't be here. Can you see it? The only reason you have life is because of the cross of Calvary. If there had been no cross, there had been no life. And you are alive today as a gift from God from the cross of Calvary. And we saw that in Romans chapter 5, verse 18 justification of life. That's what it was. Jesus paid the full price to give the human race life. And friends, He didn't only give you life. Every loaf of bread is stamped with the cross of Calvary. Every drink of water is stamped with the cross of Calvary. Every gift that you enjoy is stamped with the cross of Calvary. Because if you had no life, you would enjoy no gifts. Isn't that true? Yes. And how much do we owe Him? And friends, does that say anything to any of us? I mean, I'm just thinking in terms of if God gives me a gift in this hand, Do you suppose He does not want to give me the other gift? Why do we think in terms of, I have a new car, I have children, I have grandchildren, I have a wife, I have a husband, I have money, I have a home, I have all of these things. Thank you, God, for all of these gifts. And then we scratch our heads and wonder if He would give us the gift of salvation. Friends, He gave us one gift. He didn't give us a whole bunch of gifts. He gave us Jesus Christ. And in His Son, He has freely given us all things. And the little gifts that we enjoy... As having family and everything else that we have is simply an earnest. It's a down payment. It's a guarantee of the greater gift. It's all wrapped up in one. You have the gift. What are you going to do with it? Can you see it? Oh, I wish I could be clear about this. I really, really do wish it. Did you get to eat today? Do you know that when Adam sinned, that he actually forfeited? I can read that. As a matter of fact, eighteen eighty-eight materials eight thirteen and fourteen. By rebellion and apostasy, man forfeited the favor of God. Then he was no longer entitled to a breath of air, a ray of sunshine, or a particle of food. Well, not only has Adam sinned and forfeited all these blessings, we all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We all have forfeited these things. And yet, did you drink water today? Did you breathe any air today? Did you enjoy your food today? Do you have wives and husbands and children and grandchildren? Is there nothing to enjoy? Ah, friends, life is full of enjoyment and it is all gifts from God based on the cross of Calvary. And if there was no cross, there'd be no life, there'd be no no gifts. How much do we owe God? Ah, friends, turn with me to Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17, I want you to see this. In just another verse, uh, the Apostle Paul is in Athens, Greece. And in Athens, Greece is where the center of philosophy is. He goes over there because people are very educated there and they have a lot of influence and he hopes to win a few so that these people with all these influences can go out and win more people. But he was terribly discouraged because people with a lot of education... I hope you don't have any. <laughs> Not quite true. But anyways, I'm glad you have education, but don't think like some of these people in Athens, Greece, right? It had gone to their heads, and they thought, this guy can't teach us anything, even though he had the greatest truth that could be taught anyone. And so he is discouraged, and one day he enters a temple, I don't know which temple it was, and there was all these gods on the different walls, I suppose, and there was one god with an underscription that said, the unknown god, and Paul thought to himself, oh, I know the unknown god. And so with that, he went back to the people. Look at verse 25 in Acts chapter 17, talking about the unknown God. Neither is worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything. Seeing he gives to all, notice to whom now, to all, everyone in the human race, life and breath and what? All things. Do you have all things? Are you part of the human race? Uh Uh-huh, uh-huh. And if you have anything, you have everything. It's the truth. Do you know that this very verse, this very concept is in the parable of the prodigal son? Go back with me to Luke chapter 15 now. I want you to see it. And maybe it's even clearer. We're in Luke chapter 15, we're looking at verse 31. This is near the end of the parable. The, the prodigal son has come home, the father throws a party, the elder brother won't come in, the father goes out to entreat him, the elder brother says, listen, I've kept all the commandments, you never gave me a kid that I might make merry with my friends. And the father rebuttals his son in verse 31. Watch what he says. And he said unto him, son, you are ever with me, and all that I have is yours now how could he say that to his son this was a pharisaical legalistic hypocrite why would the Bible present to one who is lost everything isn't that what it says here son what are you talking about I'm with you all the time and everything I have is yours what are you complaining about do you ever complain <laughs> yeah Is there no God in heaven? Do you think He doesn't come to you and say, Duh! What more must I do? Because with my Son, I've given you everything. It's all yours. Even if you're as bad as can be, I've given it to you. As a matter of fact, it's meant to what? Bring you to repentance. Isn't that true? Romans chapter 2, verse 4. It's a question. Well, let's go there. Let's go there. Romans chapter 2, I want you to see it, because the question is quite apropos, the question is right on target, it's, it's, um, it's what needs to be asked at this time, we're verse 4, we're in Romans chapter 2, do you despise the riches of his goodness? Now listen, you can't get any gooder, if you don't mind my English. We have a God in heaven who's done everything for us. And he's paid the full penalty for us. And he gives us every gift in Jesus Christ. You can't get better than that, right? But Paul says people despise that. Do you despise the riches of his goodness and forbearance and longsuffering, not knowing, or in colloquial language, don't you know that the goodness of God leads thee to repentance? Friends, in the parable, the prodigal was meant to hear God's voice in the gift that was given to him. Do you ever give a gift? Who do you give good gifts to? People you like or people you don't like? Yeah, yeah. Well, usually it's people we like, right? God loves you, so He gave you a gift. The father in the parable loved his son, so he gave him a gift. But in the gift there was a message. The message was, Son, I love you. Here's everything. This is how much I love you. And it was meant to turn his heart toward home. Yeah, this is what repentance is. It's just a turning around and going in the opposite direction. The young man was going to dissipate away his life and his father tried to arrest him in that stupidity and the boy didn't hear anything. Of course, he didn't hear. There's a lot of people, friends, who don't hear the voice of God. I don't know why. Maybe we haven't been able to present it. What will it be like in that day when the Holy Spirit is poured out upon us in latter rain power? And when we open our mouth to speak, it goes right to, the, right to the heart of the individual and they see it. What a blessing. Sometimes we talk and no one understands. Sometimes we don't understand and we talk. <laughs> That's why they don't understand either, I guess. Now some of you are saying to yourselves, if I have everything in Christ, why do I feel so poor? Why so little money in my account? Why so few brains in my head? Why so little power in my influence? Why do I feel so sick? How can this guy preach such abundance when I feel so deprived? You feel that way? The Bible says we need to walk by faith and not by sight. Is there something wrong with sight? What's wrong with sight? We only see the surface of things. Isn't that true? Well, it is. I can't see into your heart. I can see all these beautiful people. I wonder inside, are we all as beautiful as we look outside? I hope so. Yeah, because we're Seventh-day Adventists, we probably are. But we're talking about other people, right? Yeah. Faith, uh, I mean, sight is not dependable. How much deception is there in this world? It seems like the whole world is based on deception, isn't it? It is. And so we can't tell by looking what we're seeing. It's amazing. Ah, but faith is different. Faith will see eternal realities where sight will only see temporal realities. Now, uh, I don't have, and even if I had, you couldn't see it. When I do this with my lifestyle guests, I usually hold a little acorn, and I hold it up and I say, what do you see? you know what they say? An acorn. (laughs) Well, that's what they see, because that's what it is. Yeah, but what's in the acorn? I mean, if they had any faith at all, what would they know is in the acorn? Yes, an oak tree. Isn't that true? Wow, does that take a lot of faith? This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse dot org.